Welcome to our uh, latest episode of the Lebanese Physicians Podcast. And uh, today we've got uh, Dr. Eli Gabi, who you probably have met before in our podcast on the UK and how to get to the UK for medical training. So Dr. Gabi did his medical lab at Belenand University and afterwards went into medical school there, started a neurology residency over there, but subsequently was able to get a position doing research in pancreatic cancer, which is a completely different field at the Johns Hopkins University. And uh, that is why I have actually uh, in the background here, uh, DC on one side where I am and the other side is Baltimore. So uh, people can appreciate that the two cities and uh, we're not that far away from each other, I guess. Eddie. Not at all. We're practically neighbors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Eli, I mean, you, you went to Belamand, you started your neurology residency there. So what prompted you to one, start applying to the U S and two, what prompted you to apply for research positions to the U S well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for that warm introduction. And so what prompted me to make this radical shift? So during med school, I narrowed down what I wanted to do to general surgery and urology. So I did a lot of homework to figure out what kind of specialty I wanted to do. And urology in Lebanon is the better of the two. So a lot of people who are doing their residency homework will know that general surgery is not the most developed. So it's, it's a specialty that you have to love and have to accept for what it is if you want to stay back home. So that's why I started in urology. I initially, like all of us, like all students, I wanted to go to the U.S. Uh, for residency. But I kind of factored that if I don't get my preferred choice of specialty, then I'm just you know going to pursue the specialty I like as a priority. <laughs> After things... Uh, spiraled out of control in Lebanon, I decided that it's probably a good idea to start looking at other options, uh, which is what prompted me to start researching, you know, all other alternatives. And the easiest alternative to jump to, which is ironically also the hardest, <laughs> is a research fellowship in the US. So that's how I initially got started. And this is how I ended up here. And why didn't you just apply to the match, I guess? So that's a, that's a very important question because when I decided to stay home, I decided that I won't be uh, doing my USMLEs. So by the time I decided, no, it's a good idea to start researching other options. I was a bit late in, in the whole scheme of things. I couldn't apply to the match because I didn't do my USMLEs. So I'm actually doing them during my postdoc years so I can apply to the match in 2023. And how did you decide on pancreatic cancer as a research fellowship or did it, was it just a thing you found? I mean, I assume it was very easy for you to apply. I just sent a couple of emails and you got your position. So actually uh, on paper, it's very easy to apply to positions, but in reality, it's uh, remarkably difficult. And I hope in this interview and in the interviews we've you've had with other postdocs and other residents, we were able to shed light on the whole process. So the funny thing is back home, because I like general surgery, I actually did more general surgery research with the department than I did with urology. And one of the things we would like to do were uh, Whipples and esophagectomies. So that's where my whole back, not background, I would say, but my whole interest in pancreatic cancer started. So when I started applying to postdocs, 
it just so happened that a friend of mine who's a resident at uh, MedStar Health was doing a research here at Hopkins in pancreatic cancer in the HPV division. And he told me that there's a postdoc who's applying to the match and that his position will be, will be available and they're looking to recruit someone else. So it was just a really good stroke of, of luck, I would say, like a series of coincidences that just, saw, that just happened. But that was the only pancreatic cancer postdoc that I actually applied to. Everything else that I applied to pretty much had nothing to do with the, the hepatopancreatic biliary division. So, so how many how many uh, applications did you send? Like, because that, because you know with the with the match it's easy. You do your USMLEs, you mm-hmm. you go through ERAS and you start applying to multiple programs. With research, it's different. You have to have contacts, send emails out, wait for replies, and sometimes you don't even get any replies. So uh, did you do you have to send a lot of emails? How did you make your connections to get this position? So that's exactly uh, the difficult part of, of the entire process. Just like you said, there's no standard way to proceed with finding a postdoc and applying to one. So I started off as anyone would, I suppose. I started off by asking friends of mine who are either residents or postdocs to see uh, what they did and to try to do exactly what they did. And with every person I asked, they were able to give me more and more helpful advice. And they pointed me to resources that were helpful. I'm not saying there weren't. But ultimately, the most useful resource I found was just reaching out to people and to see what's out there. Because there's no common source that collects all vacancies in the U.S. or all vacancies in the state. Uh, You just really have to look for individual positions and kind of keep an eye out for everything. So I sent close to 60 applications, sent them all over the country, and I sent them to pretty much all specialties that are, you know, part of surgery. So I sent uh, approximately 10 to urology and the other 50 to general surgery, including thoracic, uh, trauma, and HPB. There are lots of resources that I'll mention as we go, but I guess the most important thing is to just keep rapport of who's actually in the U.S. and who we can talk to, especially they're also Lebanese. There were lots of helpful postdocs who were not Lebanese, but ultimately the, the deciding factor was that a Lebanese postdoc was able to put me in connection with another Lebanese postdoc, and that's how I got here. And when you... When you apply, when you say applications, like what does the application include? So yeah, unlike residency, it's pretty much institutional. So it really differs what they're looking for and what they want. And the whole process is also a bit different from institution to institution. For example, Mass General has a portal. So you log into the portal and you submit your application, which includes your CV, your personal statement, uh, letters of recommendation. If I remember correctly, that's pretty much what Mass General is looking for. But you go to a website and submit your application there, and then HR processes it, and they reach out to you. Others are less formal. So you email the principal investigator, and he asks you for pretty much any number of requirements. But they generally stem from an updated CV, a personal statement, and a few letters of recommendation. For the position I'm currently in, they only requested a CV and a statement of intent. 
They didn't require letters of recommendation. But I guess the safe bet would be to have at least two letters, an updated CV, and to write a statement for each program you're applying to. And my question for you is, did, did your CV include anything close to the research you're doing right now, or you never did anything like this? This was just more a stroke of, a stroke of you knew somebody who knew somebody who, got, who helped you get in. So actually, I did have some research uh, experience under my belt. I generally just enjoyed the whole process of research, being in, in the research field. Uh, that's not to say my experience is robust or the publications we put out are high impact, but we just generally did it for fun. And we, you picked up, we picked up a lot of things on the way. So during my medical school years, started working with the Department of Public Health. I was given a giant database to clean. And then uh, we analyzed, a, we started to look for correlations between fluctuations in air pollution concentration and different pathologies seen in the ER. So that was my first ever introduction to what a, what a database is, how to start doing analysis and how to start writing papers. And from there, we kind of just picked up a few topics that we were interested in and we published as we went. So with regards to what I'm currently doing, yes, I did have research experience in, well, not pancreatic cancer per se, but we just published a single institutional experience on Whipple's and that included, of course, pancreatic cancer, but it's not too dissimilar to what I do on a day-to-day basis here uh, during my postdoc. It still involves lots of data, still involves looking at this data, cleaning it, and a bit of analysis here and there. In these two months, I haven't actually analyzed anything, but that's also on the radar. So basically, if you, it's not necessary, but if you do have research experience and maybe some statistical analysis experience, that may add to your CV and may be helpful in that case. I, I honestly believe so. So uh, for, for postdocs, so unlike residency, residency needs ECFMD certification, of course. You have to have your USMLEs. You have to have a set of requirements that everyone has to meet. And anything you add to that is, of course, a bonus. For postdocs, it's not that clear cut. So some programs will require USMLEs. Some programs will not require them. Some programs will require research experience. Some will not. Some programs will require higher degrees. So if you have a master's degree or a PhD, so generally it depends on what the research is going to involve and the requirements kind of shift left and right from there. Research experience is definitely a bonus, but I can understand that it might be difficult without a formal institution, formal research background, excuse me, to have that sort of experience, especially coming from Lebanon. So what would you say the single most important factor in getting a research position, how do you get a research position? Being stubborn and emailing people every single day. Actually, the most important thing, in my opinion, is, uh, is the connections. So from the 60 applications that I sent out, it was only one that made it through. And the only reason it made it through was because I knew someone and he knew someone who was willing to to help me out. And they were both willing to recommend me for the position. Right. And I think like in everything in life, I think even when you go to get a job, uh, people underestimate connections, but connections are very important because once somebody puts a good word for you, 
it makes it much easier for people to accept to meet you. And once they meet you, if they get impressed, then they, then they will give you the position in that case. And I assume you got a paid research position at this point, not an unpaid one, right? Yes. So my position is paid. That was effectively one of the biggest criteria I was looking for. So research positions, there are still unpaid research positions. They're not many because there are rules preventing institutions from employing someone and not paying them. So as far as I know, there's effectively a grace period that they don't necessarily have to pay a postdoc for about one year. I might be wrong on that, but that's how my friend explained it. He's currently a postdoc in San Diego and he's unpaid. But a volunteer base, there is a volunteer role. That's not very popular, of course. So um, most positions would have to be paid if they are postdocs, but there's always unpaid positions uh, that people can fill. And I can imagine that's not a very attractive option right now with the things we're going through. Right, it may not be an option at this point. At all. An unpaid position at all. And so what, what, do, what do you expect to get now from your, from your postdoc? Do you want to stay a postdoc for a long time or are you looking to go into residency at some point? So I guess my, I'm a bit luckier than most in that it was clear cut right from the beginning. When I spoke to my PI, he asked me if I'm okay with two years of research. And I'm honestly fine with two years of research. Some positions might be one year, some positions might be two years, some positions might extend beyond two years. The general rule is that postdocs are, are two years, but a one-year position is, is not uncommon. And other positions in maybe more competitive specialties, so general surgery is not the most competitive match. And more competitive specialties, it would be expected to give more time, so three plus years of research. It really depends on, on the institution, of course, and, and the specialty of choice. Uh, afterwards, I intend to apply to the match. And pretty much the P, my PI is very well aware of that scheme. So he is uh, he's, he's very supportive of that. And pretty much all postdocs just move on to residency after two years on average. Right. And probably you need like... I think to, to publish and to to make some impact, probably you're going to need at least two years. I think one week, do you think one year is enough or do you think like once you go into postdoc, you need to plan on two or three years? So my PI actually explained it to me. One year might be enough, but in general, it doesn't, it's not truly enough because uh, the point of doing a postdoc and not outright applying to the match is to, of course, increase your chances to get in a more competitive specialty or to get into a more competitive program. And one of those, one of the requirements for something like that is uh, having publications, you know, the more the better, and of course, impactful papers. So the way my PI explained it is that in one year, you could technically publish five or six papers, but it generally is, is very limited. So by the time you get settled, by the time you start a project, your postdoc is practically over. So two years is the safe duration. So you get the highest volume that you could, but also you go for, for novel studies or impactful papers. Now, of course, that's not, that doesn't mean that you should extend it beyond two years just to get more papers, but two years is safe and it's not a rush, if, if that makes sense. Right, because you, you want to produce papers, but also 
you may not want to be that far away from clinical medicine for a longer period of time. And probably in these two years, you could also meet some people in the clinical department so they know you and you can get letters of recommendation from them. Are you planning to do that yourself? Definitely. Uh, so it's not, it's not just that I'm planning to do that. It's actually encouraged. So here at Johns Hopkins, lots of postdocs have come through all the sorts of departments, especially Lebanese postdocs. So most of the PIs and most of the decisions are, are not just aware that we, we're here to, to not only learn about research and to get some papers out, but we're also here to apply to the match. And the funniest thing was last week, one of the physicians, one of the med-onc physicians actually approached me about that. He's like, if your PI doesn't mind, you could also help out with some of our papers. You can get more publications out and you can boost your CV for, for the match. So they want you to network. It's not that, just that you're doing this personal initiative to network and get the, and you know, make connections. They act at least in the program I'm in, they actively want you to do this because uh, that's the right thing to do. Right, which is, which is important because you need to do it to, to boost you. And do you recommend people to do uh, basic science postdocs or clinical uh, research postdocs? Whatever they can get. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in my very brief experience researching programs and contacting friends, clinical is more high volume, but basic science is more high impact. So it's a lot easier to be on a huge paper if you're in basic science, but with the probability of publishing uh, several, several papers is probably low. Basic science, of course, takes lots of time to get results and to then write papers. But if my two months here at Hopkins are anything to go by, then whatever position a person can get, just go for it because that gives that person a lot of opportunity to just branch out. So I am given the liberty, quote unquote, to participate in clinical research and to also participate in basic science research. So it's not mutually exclusive. If you're one, you can't do the other. Obviously, I mean, if you if you want to go into residency in surgery, you want to do a postdoc in surgery and meet surgeons to get letters from them. You don't, you don't if you want to do a residency in psychiatry, you don't do a postdoc in pancreatic cancer because that's probably not going to help you in getting a psychiatry position afterwards. It might get you an evaluation, but it definitely won't get you a residency. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and and how is it, how have the past month been, I guess, since you've started? Is it a lot of work? Is it very stressful or is it laid back? So uh, I guess it just gets more and more uh, stressful. It's not stressful in a negative way. Uh, so PI, the team, and pretty much everyone I've met so far have been remarkably supportive. They understand that uh, moving to a different country takes time, settling takes time, and to pick up skills takes time. So especially because most of us might not have a formal background in research. So we might not have a formal background in, in using statistical software or lab techniques or pretty much any, anything that goes on in an actual research department. We might have some idea, but not a great foundation. So these two months have been, I wouldn't say stressful. These two months have been just full, so to speak. So there's always something to learn. There's always something to do. And there's always something to check up on. Honestly, I wouldn't have had it any other way. So I don't particularly think that these two months have been burdensome, so to speak. 
but it's definitely not a, a walk in the park. So you just, every single day you're reminded that there's something new to read, something new to learn. And it's just, uh, I guess, part of your, part of your responsibilities to make sure you know all that. So it's a steep learning curve the first several months, right? Yeah. So it, it feels like a steep learning curve because everything's new. Right. And picking up all these skills uh, takes yeah. a bit of time. So especially with the administrative things. So figuring out how to submit uh, amendments or what, why you need to submit it in the first place or getting the trainings that you need, that all takes time. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's not so bad, I suppose. Right. And I think this, this stuff will be important for you once you go into residency and even after that. Because it will probably help you have a research, bigger research background once you start your residency afterwards. And so what's overall, I guess, what's your recommendation? Because people always ask this question, like, should we do our USMLEs, maybe do one year, one year of internship abroad and then come to the US afterwards or do a residency abroad and repeat it in the US? Or some other people say, no, we're going to do a postdoc position and then try to apply for residency. Do you think there's an advantage of one over the other or it just depends on the situation and the conditions that people should make these choices so i think when it comes to a postdoc it's really multifactorial and every condition needs to be taken into consideration uh, before they make a decision to pursue uh, a research position i mean in, a, in an ideal setting if lebanon were in a better situation i would focus mostly on why a postdoc is an important step not just to boost your CV, but also to have an academic background. But right now, it's more of a feasibility thing, uh, less so of an interest thing. So my general recommendation right now, as of today, uh, would be to see uh, the most successful plan to pursue. A postdoc may not necessarily be the most successful transition out of medical school or residency from, from Lebanon into something abroad. And generally, also speaking, a postdoc is just a thing here in the U.S. So throughout my six months of applying to different postdocs, I came to the conclusion that they do not have this, for example, in the U.K. I reached out to, to a vascular surgeon in the U.K. who's a friend of a friend's, and he explained that they generally do not have this concept. So... I guess the biggest decision here is whether to pursue the U.S. or not, and other options should be taken into serious consideration, especially with things going on in Lebanon right now. And once the decision is made to pursue training here in the U.S., whether a postdoc is required or not. So uh, some people may choose to apply straight up to the match, uh, depending on if they have the connections to directly jump in, if they have a CV strong enough to directly jump in. And also depending on what institution they're applying to. So this is not to say that they might apply to lower tier institutions. Actually, a lot of people get into some pretty good institutions straight out of med school. But uh, the postdoc has the added advantage of just adding a bit of seasoning to the CV, but also giving the applicant a pretty good foundation in research. And I can pretty much say for that most of us have some interest in research be it basic or clinical science. So it shouldn't just be taken as a stepping stone. It's a very important stepping stone and it can be a very comforting stepping stone, especially if it's paid in a good institution with a good 
support system, but there are obviously other choices and shorter uh, courses to take. So do you know, just for, for purpose, I, I don't know if you know that answer, but do you know how many, let's say, postdoc positions in surgery are available in the U.S. right now? Do you have an idea? I guess that's an impossible question to, a- to answer, just because so my general understanding is that a postdoc position depends on the funding. Right. And each PI, if my PI, for example, has X amount of funds and he can only fund one position, then there's one postdoc. But if he had a bigger bigger grant or much more funding, then he could technically fund more than one postdoc. And that's also taking into consideration that there might be people who have the financial means to work paid. So a paid postdoc position depends primarily on the funding of that division and that PI in particular. So I guess to summarize, I think what we've talked about, it seems like the decision is, is based on the condition situation that each person is in at this point. But if you want to pursue a postdoc position, the most important thing you need to start working on is maybe some research background and at the same time try to start establishing connections early on uh, so you can potentially get a position if it opens up. Uh, Because without connections, it may be hard, especially if you're coming in uh, with a visa that needs to be sponsored. So uh, connections are extremely important. And I guess that's why, Eli, I think you came up with this idea of establishing the postdoc database just because you thought that by people knowing uh, postdocs or who the postdocs are in different institutions that may open up some avenues for them to pursue some connections and maybe be able to get postdoc positions afterwards. That is true. So the most useful resources I found were Twitter, the APDS for, for surgery and connections. So actual people. Twitter was remarkably useful because uh, you get to see people retweet and talk about positions or things may just pop up out of nowhere. If a person just sits down right now and Googles postdoc position in, let's say, in general surgery in Baltimore, since I'm here in Baltimore, they're going to see several positions in several institutions. They might go to a website such as APDS, which is the Association of Program Directors in Surgery. So that's APDS.org. They might not see a single position there. And they might go to Twitter and they might see a completely different set of of, of positions. And let's just go with that example. Some of those positions might only be offered to green card holders or to U.S. citizens and may not look at an applicant who might need a visa. That might be due to a whole host of factors, uh, chief of which is where the funding is coming from. So if it's a federal grant and it's, a, for example, a T32 position, those are only offered to uh, citizens or green card holders. So it can't be offered to, to a person who needs a visa. So, yeah, I came up with the idea of, a da- of the database because I thought it would be much easier if a person has a laundry list of people to talk to and to see where things start. The postdoc position is a very fluid concept. So there might be one today, there might not be one tomorrow. And the only guarantee, for example, is if you're replacing someone. So I got my position because someone was already in that position and it just didn't, uh, for example, appear out of nowhere. Some positions may appear out of nowhere, which is always a good idea to keep track of of things uh, that's the, that are developing on social media or mainly just by reaching out to people. So me being in the position that I'm in, I'm going to hear about other positions that might be available or that might might open. 
soon or positions that are open, but there's a viable candidate, so they might not be open for long. Yeah, so generally speaking, that's the whole idea behind the database, just to give people an idea of what's already out there and to give them a set of postdocs or residents that they can contact to make things a whole lot easier. So any any final pieces of advice any, for people? Well, I would say follow me on Twitter, but that would be self-promoting. <laughs> um, my general piece of advice is it's a tough, tough uphill battle. and if, you, if a person wants to pursue a training in the U.S., they just really need to understand that it's not going to be easy, especially if you're an average person like me with barely any connections or with starting out with barely any idea of how things work. So don't be discouraged by rejection emails or by people not responding at all. Don't be discouraged by how long the process is going to take. But just because time is a factor right now, and I know that a lot of people are trying to get out of Lebanon and try to secure positions abroad, be very honest with yourself and see which is the most viable option that you have at hand and just go with it wholeheartedly. You can't have one foot on the platform and the other on the train. You need to stick with one decision and go with it all the way to the end. And that's probably the most difficult thing to do, especially if they're interested in one program and not the other, or in one country and not the other. And, and I think most importantly is be patient, because I think people want to get out now really fast, and sometimes they can appear as if they're very persistent, which might uh, put some people off too. So I think it's important to be patient, take your time, and work diligently towards your goal. That is, yeah, that is, I honestly think that is a uh, golden advice. One of the things my friends continuously taught me were, told me were that whatever position you get, go with it. Don't think twice, just take it. And if I were to follow that advice, I would be an unpaid postdoc in Manhattan, barely surviving. So really weigh your options, be very, very honest. Just because it's an attractive program, just because it's available, doesn't mean that it's the best option for you. Thank you, Ali, for. Uh, this advice that you gave, and hopefully people have learned something from this podcast about applying to postdoc positions and what it entails. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I understand that a lot of the things I said were just vague or general, but I appreciate the opportunity to give my side of the story and my experience with the application process. And you remind me, your Twitter, Twitter handle is at Eli Gabby. Yeah, so that's at E-L-I-E-G-H-A-B-I. Um, I might be offline for the past, for the next couple of months uh, just because I have my US MLEs coming up. But uh, if you were to find me on Twitter, I would appreciate a follow. Other accounts to follow are, of course, Ilma's account. Uh, that's I-L-M-A underscore USA. And Inside the Match, it's a very, very popular account that has a lot of resources that Ilma is also providing for uh, future applicants. So they provide you with CV, CV help. They provide you with uh, updates on opportunities. So I guess just get on Twitter. <laughs> right. So it's like a big piece of advice to get on Twitter. Yeah, it's, it's a good start. I honestly think it's a good start. That's how my journey started. I found it to be very helpful and I've been preaching about it ever since.
Good. Hopefully, Twitter will promote our podcast. I hope so too. I mean, we're giving, we're creating a lot of traffic for them. Thank you. All right. Thank you, and have a great evening.